I can add this to my corks. Transmission Episode 0054, Kiss of the Spy Woman. You've entered the Potable Picture Show, your podcast dedicated to motion pictures and drinking liquors. I'm your host, Kevin McRae, and I'm here to tell you this podcast may contain mature content. We'll be visiting Sparkling Wines and Cocktail Corner, and later in feature presentation, we will be tackling the Melissa McCarthy movie Spy. All this and more on this week's episode of The Picture Show. It is summertime. Let's head into the VIP booth at the top of the cantina. Here we are. We're in our VIP booth at the top of the cantina. Sitting across from me is the head organizer of the Sierra Nevada Movie Club, her name is Heathen. Hi. It is just Heathen and I this week, and as you can probably hear, summertime is definitely in the air. There is lots of uh, obnoxious kids outside of the cantina. We do have a age limit before they can come into the cantina, so they are just being ruckus and loud, and I wish most of them would die. <laughs> nice. That's the best part about summertime, is kids dying drowning in the river you can tell i'm not in the greatest mood today well they drowned in the winter time too don't okay. you remember that kid that drowned in the i don't want to remember any of them because it would make me feel bad if i knew about it i just wish it would happen mm-hmm. without me knowing about it okay i do not have oh we have some sipping beer he then just sipped on her sipping beer we are sipping on summer love from victoria brewing vic 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 victoria is usually pronounced victory <laughs> this is and without the stutter victory is a, a brewery that most people probably know it's on the east coast ish i think it is around philadelphia um can philadelphia. You, this one is called summer love i don't always like summer beers but when i do like them it's from victory mm. anytime you hear this sound uh, that's that's fine to hit this baby. It means drink along with us at home. Whatever your sipping beverage is. Water. Lemonade. Club soda. Milkshake. Whatever it is. That just sounds gross, guzzling milkshake <laughs> to this podcast. <laughs> Can you hand me another Summer Love Victory beer? I can't really hand it to you. Maybe I should both- should just start start pronouncing it vi- Victory. 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 I'll come around here and get one. My microphone is omnidirectional. All right, Heathen. Mm-hmm. As you know, Beer Maker Matt is in the Rocky Mountains currently. 
being wild. And uh, wishing Wells will still be on vacation too. Not that she ever comes on the podcast. So it's just you and me, you and I, I and me you. and you, just the two of us. You ready to give we some can news? Make it if we try. Yeah. Well, Tomorrowland is scheduled to lose about $140 million from their movie. $140 million. That's a lot of dollars. Mm-hmm. The last time that Disney failed was the um, Johnny Depp movie in The Lone Ranger in 2013. Was that considered a, a fail across the board? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was a whopping $190 million deficit. So, Ooh. Well, from what I understand, um, see, some movies, like the last Transformers movies, mm-hmm. Age of Extinction, it did really shitty here, but it like tripled what it made overseas as it made here, so it still ended up doing pretty well. Uh, for what I understand, Tomorrowland is not doing well overseas, and they spent like just as much on the advertising budget as they did on the movie. The previews just weren't interesting to me. It um, I, I, there was a buzz around it because of George Clooney, the star power George Clooney has, and that Disney typically doesn't fail. But the previews they did a little bit for me, just because I was like, okay, especially the first one when it didn't show that much the teaser. Um, I think maybe they should have just stuck with the teaser trailer, but, uh, but yeah, as I, as I said on this podcast, I give the movie an overall a five, not good, not bad. It's a miss. You can see it on Netflix if you need to, you don't need to see it on the big screen. Well, they also had a John Carter movie in 2012 that, uh, they lost $200 million. Yeah. I was going to ask if John Carter was a Disney movie cause that was, so I guess we'll have to see what this one, that was a big flop. The John Carter I don't remember it, so... I didn't see it. It just... It was a flop. Well, I guess we'll just have to keep an eye on, like, what it tops out at as a loss. And It's weird back. when movies don't make money, because there's so many bad movies that make so much money that it almost seems nowadays that a movie has to be extremely shitty to not make any dollars. Again, look at all these Transformer movies and how much money they made. Well, I guess they're... Um Evaluating it on what they put in it versus what their return is, I'm sure. So, and I read, uh, I read the same thing about John Carter is um, possibly with this one is that it was mismarketed. That most ticket sales were going to adults who were expecting maybe something like an Interstellar type movie, like an adult more hard fiction, hard sci-fi, where this was. A kids movie, and there's nothing wrong with that. A kids movie can do well with adults. Like I said, there's a lot of kids movie that I do do like. Um, you know, I really like the Pixar films. As I said, the movie I'm next looking forward to is Inside Out. But you can still make a good kids movie that adults can like or anyone can like. Yeah, <clears throat> it just did not seem interesting to me at all. Um, Ghostbusters has. Um Cast the receptionist. Cast the receptionist. That's what I was trying to say, but I was like, how am I going to word this? Um, Chris Hemsworth is going to play the Annie Potts. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good idea, although 
it's a nice it's a nice way to totally reverse gender yeah, engineer everything. Reversal. Well, but they're not totally doing it because they've got like a super hot guy to do the receptionist where Andy Potts was kind of a nerd. It would have been, I think, better if they would have. Uh, see, I don't know if they could have gotten like a total nerdy person because a lot of the people in the cast are pretty nerdy. But I think that's what I'm. That's why I can't have like the full full on nerds. Yeah. Because uh, in the original Ghostbusters, you know, at least um, Bill Murray was sort of like the sex guy. But not that any of the other ones were really <laughs> attractive yeah, at all. Maybe was... Egon. Egon was kind of hot. Um... For a nerdy guy, I guess. Uh, it's scheduled currently on track to be released in theaters July 22nd, which is near my birthday next year. Yeah, I still keep my stance on Ghostbusters. I think the movie will be great. But being that it's supposed to be in a shared universe, I just think it's a huge insult that they're just pretending the first one never happened. It's just it's just an insult to the movie. I don't know. We'll see. I had something about Pete's Dragon that I wanted to talk about, but I switched it because the British actor Christopher Lee died at 93. Can you do the news with your finger out of your mouth? No. I'm sorry. So Christopher Lee died today at the age of 93. Um, I, I guess most people probably know him from Lord of the Rings and, and Hobbit. But he was in, I would say he was in like, I probably Dracula? should have looked. Yeah, he was probably in like 100 horror movies. Appeared in more than 250 movies. I didn't really know who he was because of the Lord of the Rings. I didn't ever. Well, that's not surprising that you didn't know who he was. Yeah. Even though he's been in 250 movies. Mm-hmm. But. I thought I should say something about that. Yeah, you don't need to share that you didn't know who he was. I apologize. Should we just edit that all out and start all over again? No. Anything else you wanted to talk about today for your news? Just that Pete's Dragon is going to be set in the 80s. Hmm. Still in England? Um, They didn't really talk about where it was going to be set... Um, and Disney, but it was going to be this, for for more of a, a modern audience. That's why it's set in the eighties. Well, the original was set in like the nineteen hundreds. Oh, was it? Yeah. Um, and that's scheduled to um, be released in August of next year. I think you should be scheduled to be released back out into the wild. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my news. Thanks for that news. Let's head into our cocktail corner. Cock. I see America drinking the fabulous cocktails I make. America's getting yeah. stinking on something I stir or shake. Have a drink! So we had a few choices for Cocktail Corner this week based on the movie. Um, but we went with Heathen, surprisingly, went with champagne. She's not a big champagne person. And so um, I'm really not. We just tried to pick a cocktail that was in the movie. They had martinis, they had um, an old-fashioned, and they had champagne or sparkling wines. We're actually not going to be drinking champagne. We're going to be drinking cava. But let's talk a little bit about some sparkling wine, shall we, Heathen? Mm-hmm. Well, as you know about Champagne, is that it can only grow in the Champagne region of France, right, to be called Champagne. Mm-hmm. Um, it also has to follow some certain rules um, that go along with, with making it. 
Some use, do use the word champagne as a generic term. I mean, even us that know what champagne is still will generally say, let's get some champagne instead of, instead of saying, let's get some sparkling, sparkling wine. wine. Yeah. That just is too much effort. You know, California has a lot of sparkling wine, but we generally just refer to it as champagne. Uh, in most countries, it is illegal to officially label any product champagne unless it is both comes from the champagne region and is produced under those rules I, ta- I talked about. Um, I think I was reading in in, in Spain uh, a, a general the general word that they just like us is they generally refer to everything as champagne as well. Although cava, which we're going to have, is Spanish champagne. Um, contrary to popular belief, Don Perignon was not the first to invent sparkling wine. He did make a lot of contributions to the product and the quality of, of champagne. I, I'm trying to remember because I, I learned about this before. This little thing on top is called like a basket or something, a little metal thing that keeps the cork in. Also, someone, um, the bell in the bottom of the bottle, um, someone attached that to. There was a lot of things that had to do to the strength of the bottle to keep carbonation in. It was kind of new at that time. Um, champagne is usually served in a champagne flute whose characteristics include a long stem with a tall, narrow bowl and thin sides and an etched bottom. Champagne is supposed to be surf chilled, about 45 to 48 degrees. Often the bottom is, bottle is chilled in a bucket of ice, um, which ensures the champagne is less gassy and can be opened without spillage. Champagne buckets are made specifically for this. They often have a larger volume than standard wine cooling buckets to make sure that it is cooler. I know, uh, I think France has a kind of wine glass. I can't remember what it's called, but supposedly it came from the shape of Marie Antoinette's breast as a gift to her, her husband. Did you ever hear about that? No. So we are drinking, um, a lot of different countries have their own version of, of champagne. So uh, even in France, they have another version. They have uh, the Blanquette de Lamont, which is from South France. In Portugal, they have Espumante. In South Africa, they have the Cap Classique. And then, like I said, in Spain, they have Cava, which means cave. Uh, they use cave a lot for the old um, making of, of the of the champagne. About 95%. Actually, most, most Cava comes from the Cantaloni, Cantalonia, Catalonia portion of, of France. And within that, uh, about 95% of all Cava comes from the... Uh, uh, Penedes area of Catalonia. So, um, Cava did used to be called, or they used to call it Spanish Champagne, but EU law forbid that, even from calling it Spanish Champagne. That's how restrictive they are to that trademark. So, he then gets nervous when I open the cork. Yeah. Oh, it's coming. It's coming. Oh! I don't like it. So, I am pouring in our McMinimins Champagne Flutes. From Edgefield. Um, this is a brute uh, style champagne. You're a brute. Uh, champagne can range from brute to um, bitch to to do. Uh, there's uh, you also see uh, demi demi glass a lot, which is like semi sweet. So brute just means dry. He then still gets upset because just if something is dry, which means no added sugar or residual sugars, it can still be very fruity tasting. So if something has any amount of fruit or um, floral aspects to it, even if it doesn't, and, and not just he, then a lot of people will say something Unless is it's sweet. Gin. Unless um, a lot of people will mistakenly refer to something as sweet, and it's not sweet because sweet means it has sugar in it. This is actually dry, but I do believe this is going to be very, still very uh, flowery and fruity. 
can hear the bubbles talking. They're very beautiful. Oh, Bella. Ooh, I heard that. It was a wave of bubbles. Yeah, I didn't pour that one very well. You're supposed to pour champagne. This is a similar way that you would pour beer or something else because you don't want a, a big frothy mass of bubbles. I do like to watch the bubbles. Yeah, and good champagne should have um, good bubbles. So I was trying to think. Let's not cheer. Okay, let's go ahead and cheers. What are we going to drink to? It was your last day of work today. Congratulations. So it's not bad. Thanks for cutting me off. A lot of people, um, you know, I, I don't know if I've actually had good champagne. I think I've just had the cheap stuff. Champagne does get a bad reputation among people because most people only do drink the cheap champagne that is served at like weddings and, and, and you know, New Year's Eve, like the... And buffets. Brute that's like $5 for a bottle. And, Mother's Day. And that stuff probably does have a lot of sugar added to it. And it includes hangovers at the end. That's what happens when you have sugars in your drinks so this one isn't too bad this is pretty decent i would i could go with a splash of fruit juice on top though were you trying to put eye juice in it because you were looking at it i was looking at the bubbles hmm. any champagne stories even you just don't like them um i have had more expensive champagne and i don't mind it i think it's probably just the bubbles, maybe, with the champagne. I'm not really sure what it is. Um, or maybe it's because I've had the more expensive stuff. And so when I have the cheap shit, I think it's gross. I'm not really sure what it is. Hmm. I couldn't tell you. As I said, I think among a lot of us, it's just gotten a bad reputation because people associate with associate it with the cheaper stuff. We are drinking Rondell and a nice... Um, Kind of indigo, 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 blue bottle, similar color to like like uh, Sky Vodka comes in or something like that. Nice color. All right, Heathen, you ready to go in? Did you have any more to say about champagne before we go into feature presentation? Um, I don't think so. Yahoo! Then let's head into feature presentation. So this week in feature presentation, we'll be taking the movie we saw on Tuesday with the Sierra Nevada Movie Club. The movie we saw was Spy. Here's a synopsis about the film Spy. Susan Cooper is an unassuming, dustbound CIA analyst and the unsung hero behind the agency's most dangerous missions. But when her partner falls off the grid and another top secret agent is compromised, she volunteers to go deep undercover to infiltrate the world of a deadly arms dealer and prevent a global crisis. Deep. So, of course, this movie has uh, stars Melissa McCarthy, as we mentioned. Also has Jason Statham, Jude Law, Rose Byrne, um, Bobby Cannavale, who, we, who we've been seeing a bit recently in films. We recently saw him in the... 
uh, Al Pacino movie. And Miranda Hart, who is somewhat of a newcomer to me. I wasn't familiar with her. So, uh, here's a little bit about what I found on my research about Spy. Um, Melissa McCarthy has said that the film is the most physically taxing she's ever made. She said um, all the mishaps and accidents that happened to her during the making of the movie. Running, jumping, falling. She said she cracked her head. Cuts and bruises at the end of the day. Looked like I fell down an elevator shaft. But I wear those wounds and thrown discs with a bit of pride. Stunt coordinator J.J. Perry has said, We have a great stunt double for Melissa, but once we saw how good Melissa was, we were able to ask even more of her. Perry also praised McCarthy's impressive ability to learn and retain choreography, saying she was in there with some heavy-hitting action stars, which can be intimidating, but she more than held her own. Her work ethic is outstanding. Um, so, Paul... Paul Paul Feig, Paul Feig, Paul Feig, I think that's how you say his name. Um, this is, he's he's done a few movies with Melissa McCarthy, first being Bridesmaids and then The Heat. Um, he, as soon as he saw the James Bond reboot with, um, with Daniel Craig, he wanted to make a spy movie and maybe a, a comedy movie. So he had written the kind of the script already, not necessarily with Melissa McCarthy in mind. He said he uh, he's a big fan of spy films, and he wanted to create a broad action comedy in that genre. The comedy comes from the characters. It's not a spoof or a satire. The danger and action are genuine. We wanted to have the tone of a spy film, but still be as funny as we could make it. I also wanted to create a relatable story in which we could all wonder, if I was recruited as a spy and sent on a mission, how would I react? Melissa is perfect for the role because despite being extraordinarily talented, she can still play the every person and elicit a profound sense of empathy and support. Um, I did read that he is a the uh, Paul Paul Feig. He is a big Jason Statham fan, and he wrote that part specifically for him in mind. Um, I also read that he really wanted to make a James Bond type movie, and even it makes sense with what he's saying there because when I was leaving the movie, that's one of the comments I made. I said one of the reasons I like this movie is that they took the comedy seriously but that they took the action seriously too. Like it could have possibly been an action movie on its own with the choreography and everything. I I related it at the time to, I said, Scream. I said, Scream took the comedy kind of part sort of seriously, but it took the horror part seriously as well. So it was a good match of genres. A lot of times when you do kind of a crossover, like a comedy action film, it's more about the comedy and the action is just like there in the background where they really did choreograph a lot of these fight scenes. Melissa McCarthy did study like some martial arts for this. To me, I think she did a really good job with the action, but it was still Melissa McCarthy, and it was still kind of awkward watching her chase people. I was like, that guy's got to be so far gone by now by the time she catches up, because she just, you know, she's Melissa McCarthy. Yeah. (laughs) But I I, uh, still thought it was kind of a neat uh, role for her, um, especially taking on the, the prettier actress rather than a funky looking actress that she has played before you know that was the comment that i made where they dressed her up oh yeah instead of you know um maybe like the bridesmaids character or even what was the other one well she kept wanting to be that was part of the kind of the story in the film is she kept she didn't want to go undercover as frumpy cat woman she kept wanting to be like well can i be like glamorous can i be like you know, Jude Law in, in his tuxedo, can I be, uh, 
uh, you know, a, 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 a world-class spy top person. That's, she said that's why she wanted to, to go into the CIAs because she was always a boring person and she wanted to kind of change that. And then she ended up being a, a desk jockey. Although we find out later that she was a very good field agent or had the potential for that in her in her um, academy days and in her test videos of when she was training, mm-hmm. which I thought was a pretty good part. I like, kind of like that part of the film. Yeah. I like that they made her kind of competent and that she really could do all those things where Jason Statham, who was supposed to be one of the great spies, was just kind of a, a bumbling fool in a way. Um, I I do not like Jason Statham very much as an action person. My favorite Jason Statham film is, is Snatch, and I don't really take him seriously in like the transport and stuff like that. But I really liked it in this film that he still played that badass that he usually plays in these action movies, but then he did stuff like get his coat caught on doorknobs and you know, um, just wasn't really that aware of his surroundings and clumsy. And even his costumes, like when he was at the dance club, he just had the most ridiculous. Co- Although I was thinking when he had the wig on, I was like, I think Jason Statham looks pretty good with hair. Yeah. I think one of the reasons I don't take him seriously is he's got that Bruce Willis baldness, like super bald. Although I, I, I like Bruce Willis. I just, hark- he was saying that, uh, this was a movie that he had more than like eight words. He was pretty funny. And then they have a little, if you go see the film, there's a, at the very end of the credit, there's a little outtake scene. And the only thing I'm going to say is Jathan Statham breaks character. So that's kind of, kind of funny. Um, it also had, as, as we all know, um, Melissa McCarthy, she's pretty much good in, in any movie, even if the movie isn't that great, like Tammy. Um, she's still pretty good in it. Jude Law, I thought, was pretty good. Um, I wasn't a huge Jude Law fan like in the 90s when he first came out. I thought he was kind of coasting on his good looks. And now I take him a little more seriously after he's he's gotten a little bit older. And um, he kind of takes the piss out of himself a little bit. He doesn't take himself that seriously. And I thought he, he was perfect in this role as the the James Bond type spy, the debonair tuxedo spy. I thought he was pretty good. Do you like him? He's Okay. I thought I thought that was a good relationship between the the two of them. And then Rose I liked it in the beginning, but then I kind of wish maybe something would have happened with um the the other male spy character that she was the Italian one? Mhm. That would have been cute. <laughs> he was he was pretty funny. I'm not yeah. familiar with that actor either. I think he's a... Uh, I'm not going to say anything in case I'm wrong. Um, and then we had Rose Byrne, who has a reputation of kind of a cunt to work with. Um, I th- she was in Neighbors with Seth Rogen, I think. The older lady? Rose Byrne. She was the bad guy. Um, I really liked her in this movie uh, in the last few... She's been in a lot of different films. She was in the Insidious films. and I mean, we've seen a lot of her. We saw her recently in that she was Jason Bateman's love interest. She worked at the ice skating rink. Mm. Um, I never really knew what I thought about her because I couldn't tell. And like I said, she has kind of a reputation to be a cunt to work with. But I really liked her in this film as well. I think that she just... She was the perfect kind of bitch in a way. I liked her hair. I liked everything about her. Mm. And then I don't really we don't really need to talk about Bobby Cannavale. I don't think unless we want to. Um, he was the arms buyer. I know him from the station agent and from Boardwalk Empire. But like I said, we saw him really recently as Al Pacino's son in that movie that I can't even remember the name of. Oh. And then and then Miranda Hart, which we don't really need to talk about either. 
So, we talked. Is there anything else you want to talk about this movie before we get into the topics? Anything you liked or didn't like, or would recommend or not recommend, or anything that bothered you? No, I I think everybody should go see it because it was really funny. So there is. Well, first, let me ask you. So they they don't have that many. Well, she didn't really use that many. She did have a whole bag of spy gadgets, which were which were kind of funny and embarrassing. Won't give them away until. Uh, so you can go see that for yourself. But that is one of the main staple of any spy film is, is the gadgets. We saw it in uh, The Kingsman. You always see it in James Bond. You saw it even going back to uh, Get Smart, the TV show. So, Heathen, if you were a spy and you were out undercover in Bulgaria or wherever, what's that? Can you get the cord out of your mouth? What is a spy gadget that that you would like to have your uh, design team make up for you? I would want some kind of bionic hand or arm, like a go-go gadget. Something so, out of my fingers. So just to get extension or, or, or for what reason? Um, I'm not really sure. I can't. I couldn't really decide what I would want it to do. Just That's to, why I just said a bionic. Like something that has like a, you know... Um, uh, like it would do a lot of things like Inspector Gadget has a lot of things that his hands can do. I have some things my hands could do too. Like he has a helicopter that comes out of his hat. That's not his hand. Things. Well, my, I know, but he has the th- things that his hands do too. Yeah, my hand can make things squirt. That's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like my middle finger to be a dildo. That's what. Well, I thought you might want some sort of hydraulics or something, so you could get like. So I could be tall. Two thousand pounds of torque into your bionic hand. No, I'm just wondering what you wanted your hand to do. I ha- I couldn't really decide. I just would want, like maybe it would be a giant. Um, I don't know. Okay. It'd just be a giant hand, so you, you would be walking around no, undercover, no one would know who like, you are, and you'd have like a hand that is twice as big as the rest of your body? No, if I needed, um, I don't know. Anyway. My gadget would be inflatable pants. Sort of like Inspector Gadgets. He had a button he'd pull on his coat, and he would, and he would become inflatable, a big old gadget. I'd just do it with my pants. I'd use it for things like breaking my fall or floating in the water. Or being an upside down balloon. Maybe if uh, a maybe if balloon. a bad guy was on my lap choking me, I could inflate my pants and and pop him off of me. Hmm. I don't know. It's probably not the best gadget. I just for some reason the first thing that came into my mind was inflatable pants, and I'm sticking with it. I can make part of my pants stick out, but not all of them. Couldn't you do that with just a bunch of gas, though? I, I guess that's how inflatable pants would probably work with some sort of gas. Okay. Maybe it would be foam or Natural jelly. Gas. So there's all these huge spy franchises, and I think it's kind of interesting also that a lot of these uh, mega mega franchises all have films coming out this year with Spectre from James Bond, and we have a new Mission Impossible with Rogue Nation. We also have the Man from Uncle reboot coming out this year. We had um, the Kingsman which will end up being a franchise. I think that there is very likely a possibility for a sequel to this film. Do you think that there is room with... There, there's so many female-centric movies coming out nowadays, and they've shown that even crappy movies 
like Lucy with Scarlett Johansson could make money. Do you think that there's room or a market for a serious female spy? Like a like a female version of a James Bond film where it's not the person isn't ridiculous or it's not a comedy, but you have someone like Scarlett Johansson who plays someone like Jason Bourne from The Bourne Identity or, or Ethan Hunt from Mission Impossible where she goes on kind of like the Black Widow character in, in Avengers, but the movie's all about her. I think uh, uh, they could definitely, because I'm a big fan of The Bourne Identity, so if they could somehow revamp that into a female version and get those people attracted to it, they, there could be a market for that. Do you or, think people would go to it? Do you think like... I would. If they could keep that storyline going because that was the whole reason why I liked... I'm just yeah. saying, do you think that a large audience of... 18 to 28 year old men would go see a action film that doesn't have a a list male actor in the lead do you think they would go do you think that a film with scarlett johansson or some other um i don't know female with a lot of clout would 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 be able to carry a film on her own i can only tell you what i would go and see I would definitely like to see them try it, and I would like to see them go after the James Bond formula pretty directly. What I what I would be interesting to see is if there is a huge double standard where no one complains about James Bond having sex with all of the female agents. I wonder if they make a female version of James Bond who seduces and sleeps with like attractive male evil agents if people are going to be like oh she's such a slut this is horrible for our kids how can we be showing this to our kids that she uses her sexuality in a, in a negative way she can't just use her brains probably yeah i think that would happen too which is which is ridiculous because maybe they should make the movie to point that out it's like really yeah i think that would be ridiculous because james bond uses his brains and his charm and, and a lot of other things as well so I just would be interesting to see if there is any kind of backlash, especially, especially I would see it from coming from like the feminist side who should be supporting the movie, who always are, you know, that you have all these feminists that are calling for equality between men and women. And then when it gets to certain things, they just still don't think it's equal when they're like, it's exactly the goddamn same. No, she shouldn't be wearing sexy outfits. She should be wearing something utilitarian. She should be wearing a tuxedo just like him. <laughs> yeah, probably. That's ridiculous. So, how about if you were a spy, how would your spying how how would your spying skills? Would you be a good spy? Are you a good spy now? Um, I can be. Um, I don't really need to be a good spy because usually what happens is if I need to see something, it just happens to be right in front of me. I don't have to go looking for it. But if I'm really good at finding things, so... So you could be like Inspector Gadget. Yeah, I'm, I mean... You, you could find I, Blue Blue's Clues. Yeah, I can find Wero's Waldo in Carmen Sandiego. In some ways, I think I would be a good spy, as I mentioned last week, is no one knows who I am, and I blend in, and mostly contrary to what you see in films, spies in real life don't dress in tuxedos they don't go to like fancy parties and drink champagne they're they're supposed to be the people that you would never expect to be a spy i mean that's the point is you don't want to stick out um 
the other thing, I don't think I would be a very good spy because a lot of spying involves trying to get contacts and making friends with people under false pretenses and then getting them to confide in you information and then basically fucking them over, which in a lot of ways could get that person killed or um, destroy their lives or anything like that. I think it would be really hard for me to spend years getting to know someone, knowing the whole time I'm just going to end up fucking them over. Um, I did, I think I've mentioned before, I did get interviewed by the uh, CIA before for like a spy position. I really wanted to be an analyst. I would love to be an analyst. I'm too old to be an analyst now for the CIA because you you um, have to be hired by the CIA by the time you're 35. Um, but I would have been a, a, a great analyst for some reason. They, I had one interview as a field agent, and I was just like, "Well, that'll be that's interesting. I'm being interviewed for that at least." But I have I had very little interest in doing that. It would just, like I said, it would be so hard for me to live in another country, pretend to be someone else, and all of my relationships would be 100% fake. And you're not even allowed to tell like those close to you what you're doing, you know, most of the time. Mm-hmm. So I think that would be tough for me. I mean, I think I I do hold secrets pretty well. I think I could. I think I could do that kind of thing where I could live a second life without anyone knowing because I, th- I think I am able to um, separate those things. But deep in, it would really eat at me. As far as the traditional spying stuff you see in movies, I couldn't do. I'm uh, I'm too clumsy. I'm not good at shooting guns. And um, I'm not charming. <laughs> I would be like the lady uh, that just hangs out on the computer, the Melissa McCarthy's friend. Who is an anal, you know, an analyst? That would that would be my my kind of job. So, heathen, anything else about this movie that you want to mention? The actors or the plot or? No, I just um, everybody really enjoyed it. So my porn parody title, I went with the obvious one of thigh, but I also thought that it could be called rise, going along with my inflatable pants. Hmm. Mine's just Dick. <laughs> Dick Tracy is a spy. Get it? Oh. Dick. Yeah, I get it. Dick is a little bit different than spy, but it's still one word. Well, so. it's still... It's about the... <laughs> what? <laughs> we need one time I should... Um, you, me, and Matt... I went from spit in my eye to Dick. Spit, spit in my eye is a little bit better. Uh, I like just dick because off, it's off recording one time me you and Matt should just play like a pun game and just go over at puns I think that maybe because Matt was born in South Africa and you were born in Texas that puns are kind of maybe lost on you guys a little bit but it's still interesting why I don't know why let's do some ranks the five so I'm going to do some ranks this week. I asked Ethan if she wanted to, and she just gave me a sour look. No. So here is some spies I have. I have Ethan Hunt. You know him for Mission Impossible. Who? James Bond. People know James Bond. Just kidding. What the fuck are you doing? Uh, Austin Powers. You know you know him from Austin <laughs> Powers. Susan Cooper. She was the spy in this film. Spy. And Jorah Mormont. There's actually a more famous spy in Game of Thrones who is, um, you know, the spider. But I thought Heathen was going to rank this and it would be easier for me to describe who Jorah Mormont was to her. Jorah Mormont, currently in Game of Thrones, he got kicked out of Daenerys, Khaleesi's um, group for spying on her for the crown. So I'm going to rank these based on who I think is the best spy 
I'm going to rank these from the cake to the cream, starting with five being the least best and number one being the most best. I have to hit a baby just because I need some champagne. I'm very dry. Uh, it's fine to hit that baby. So on this list, I think the worst spy is Jor Mormont because he got caught and it kind of bothers me on the show. He's just like this pathetic, old, horny puppy dog. Oh, I'm so in love with you, Khaleesi. I'm going to kill these people in the gladiatory arena. Please take me back. He's also balding. Don't like it. He's too old. Number four I put on the list. Susan Cooper from this film. Decent spy, but come on. She's not. She's no James Bond. Not in real life. Number three, Austin Powers. I really honestly don't think that he would be the greatest spy in, in, in real life either. I did rank her above Susan Cooper, but um, I just don't think he, he totally has the skills. Then it got tough between Ethan Hunt and James Bond. First, I put James Bond as number one because it's He's James the Bond. number one, yeah. But I went with, I think the actual better spy is Ethan Hunt. I think that he, as far as not getting captured, getting the information he needs, um, taking it super serious, he's had to like pretend to be on the other side. Although I guess James Bond had to do that as well. So again, pretty tough. But I'm going with Ethan Hunt, even though I like James Bond better personally. Ethan Hunt is our top spy. The five. So, let's head into our last call. Ooh. Last call! Last call. So we kind of rushed through a lot of this. We took out some segments. So we got through here pretty quickly. We'll be out, out of here in under under an hour, which is nice. Uh, don't have a lot to go over in Last Call. Next week's movie will be Jurassic World. Um, don't know what my porn parody for that will be yet. Jurassic Park was easy because it was just Jurassic Pork. But Plastic Pearl. So weird. <laughs> so prepare for Jurassic Park next week if you guys want to see the movie. Um, that will be our next podcast, and we can talk about Chris Pratt and some dinosaurs. You can leave your messages at 775-996-3986. You can also get us at potablepictureshow at gmail.com and all of those things. I don't think anything else is going on at all as far as the movie group goes. Any last words, Ethan? No. Um, Have a good weekend, everybody. All right. Until next time, keep it wet. All my neighbors are fast asleep, and I can't find anything to drink. Mackenzie's drank all the grain alcohol, so I'm headed down the street to first call. Shame, it's a walk of pride People gonna work while we're getting
room at the top of the... God damn it, motherfuckers. Get out!